Welcome to the latest episode of the Exposition Break podcast, your home for video game news, critiques, and industry analysis. As always, I'm Blake Foley, and I am joined by my co-host, Sean Gandert. How are you today, Sean? Uh, as good as any of us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been an interesting time, and one I don't want to dwell on too much, but some of our news will touch on it a little bit. Um, it's It's been a while since we've done one of these, um, over a year at this point. Uh, yeah, there were there were some false starts. They they may have uh, receded into the uh, ashes of time, and we don't need to talk about them. Eh, I'll take the blame for most of it, but the last one we, we recorded had 17 seconds worth of audio drift, and I looked at it and kind of just froze. So, um. eh, I think that's the point in time where it's just like, you know what? I I have a life. I I don't have time for this either. That's my hobby for the next month. Or, mm -hmm. but... yeah, it's one of those ones where yeah, putting my head into a pair of headphones for long enough to edit an hour and a half that has drifted seventeen seconds on one end can be a challenge. So, with that said, we are working with some new tech here that will hopefully get better over time. But we're going live to tape this time, so bear with us as we deal with any random issues but hopefully this will make for faster production and episodes significantly more often i i hope so so i think that's that's the first item of news would be uh the existence of this uh the second <laughs> thing would be uh the what you have labeled in the rundown not so fresh news that last of us 2 was delayed and i suspect there are many other delays on the way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's no way that this can continue without really affecting development. Um, they're listening to some other podcasts recently. They were just talking about the realities of dealing with access to dev kits and how mm. the next generation dev kits probably aren't even allowed by contractual reasons to leave the building that they're located in. Uh, that's, that's a mess and a half. And that, I mean, in terms of this, in terms of games, it is a it is a medium that can function to a certain extent regardless. And indie game development will continue largely at pace, but AAA stuff and the next generation rollout is gonna have a huge effect no matter when things really open up. I I'm determined to slightly include more RPG board game stuff in this. And the effect on board games is uh fairly catastrophic for uh for somewhat related reasons mm -hmm. so it, it it just i mean no one it's too early to say about anything right now but um anything that has long lead times and and except for like one or two person uh project games we're just gonna see uh, a trickle down last of us being delayed you know we don't know when it'll come out but that's also going to mean other games delayed but last of us 2 is one of those titles where it's like when this it's kind of like the equivalent of when the uh marvel cinematic universe movie gets bumped everything gets bumped around it you know mm. they're so big that uh you don't want to also have another release nearby yeah absolutely the last of us 2 is a particularly strange one because from the sounds of things based on the note that came directly from naughty dog it sounds like the game is largely done they're just in their last bug fix stage 
but you know their marketing stuff is largely disrupted their physical distribution is obviously going to be disrupted mm-hmm. and i mean i think that was the main reason i wanted to talk about this topic beyond that beyond the you know ripples of how this is all affecting game development in general but you know the changing tides and whether it's kind of a big topic but we don't need to dwell on it too much but you know Part of this definitely is because of physical retail. They want to make sure that, mm. you know, that isn't disrupted too much, that they don't tick off the GameStops. The uh, GameStops becoming less and less relevant with the day. But... <laughs> and, and, and will will GameStops even exist by the time Last of Us 2 comes out? We don't know. Right. <laughs> Right. I, the, another strange thing about this is I think I'm, I'm hopefully not misremembering this, but Sony for The Last of Us 2 delay is no questions asked, not even not even requiring people to opt in. They are just issuing pre-order refunds automatically on The Last of Us 2 right now. They aren't even having you go to a site and requesting one. They're just doing it straight up, which is fascinating mm. to me. That's very nice and convenient, especially... Sony is not Nintendo bad at online, but I don't consider them to be super competent. Like, obviously, PC stuff online, for many reasons, works the best. But then past that, it's by far Microsoft. Yeah, definitely. And there's Sony, a fairly distant third. And then Nintendo is still like 2002. Uh Uh-huh. But then occasionally as su- surprising triumphs, not ones I can recall right now, but every now and then with a Nintendo product, I go, huh, that's neat. Oh, actually, I did think of one. And this isn't necessarily Nintendo's doing, but they allowed it. And that makes me happy is uh, Divinity 2, uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 actually has cross save between Steam and the Switch version of that game. I My guess is that Nintendo, they were told, you guys don't have to do anything. We're just can we just do this? And Nintendo said, like, we literally don't have to do anything. And then, the, no, you don't. So that's how it went through. I, I Sometimes it feels like their entire, like, web development is, like, three people. Mm-hmm. All of their networking is done by, like, th- three random people, two of them in Japan, one of them in Europe, one here, I guess I'd be four. And that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have a feeling uh, Divinity developers called in to Nintendo and said, hey, can we do this? Nintendo responded, is there a way you can use friend codes? (laughs) Uh, I still, honestly, I think uh, a friend of mine who about a few weeks ago when his job uh, went to online, he got one of the last switches available, in fact, uh, in Philadelphia. And he it was, you know, the last at his store, but he'd been looking around for it. And, uh, you know, we were talking about playing online and stuff. We still haven't. And the main reason, I think, is because when we do, we have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there's like a good like 15 or 20 minutes startup time before we can just have fun, really, it means that it it pulls you out of the evening, you know, no, it definitely does. It definitely you, does. like you just want to sit down and knowing him, he wants to pour a glass of wine and we just turn it on and we start playing and going, well, we're going to have to set up the friend codes. Oh, you can't just have. You can't just have your headset work. You're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to deal with our phone mm-hmm. or disc- and, Discord, and he's just like, "What?" 
Yeah. And oh, not only did you deal with console level friend codes, now you have to exchange game level friend codes. <sighs> yeah. yeah. It's real fun. But yeah, so Last of Us 2 <laughs> delay. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and retail, you know, it's I think the biggest thing that I found interesting as I thought about this is, yeah, just what this means for retail, the shifting tides that this whole quarantine business is causing. I have to imagine digital sales are through the roof and people that would never have thought of buying a game digitally, probably many probably have at this point. And I imagine once that genie is out of the bottle it's hard to put back Mm. i mean ultimately there's the there's a reason why limited run games works but it feels like to a certain extent they are the future of a lot of hard copy games like Mm -hmm. like they're it's it's a niche thing there's always going to be in my opinion, there's always going to be the Walmart, the Target thing for the top sellers. You know, you can you can find your Call of Duty or whatever. Uh, you can find that in there. But beyond the absolute top seller, the idea of finding a niche title, I think there is, you know, it's it's fading. It's it's almost gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um. Other news, Tim Rogers, uh, formerly of Kotaku, uh, before that of Action Button, now back as Action Button and Truck Hack, um, has launched his Patreon recently, and um, I have not had a chance to check it out, but you know, you and I are both fans of his work, and um, I know you've had a chance to look at some of it. How are, how are things going with that for you? <laughs> I mean... It's an interesting thing because he had plans about how he was going to roll it out and then he caught COVID-19 and (laughs) everything got uh, everything got pretty knocked out of whack. But I'm very happy. Um, You mentioned his time at Kotaku. Kotaku at the turn of the year seemed to lose a lot of its quality. And I'm happy for him to find a way to make that sort of thing. I, I'm very happy for the people who make long form or deeper uh, online content, not just streaming and being able to fund it. So that sort of thing is just exciting to me, like mm-hmm. doing uh, his videos take forever to make and they're they're very intense. And uh it was always kind of like an odd fit for Kotaku. So I, I think I think that this will be good. And uh, I'm excited to see kind of the shackles off. One of the things he's talked about is as well as like he's doing a thing right now about Final Fantasy VII Remake, but uh, doing the, his sort of long form coverage of older games as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm looking forward to that, though. So. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he works on because he's sold me on several games of over the past couple of years that I probably would have never looked at a second time. And he has made me enthusiastic about them. And I've ended up picking him up and loving him. So, so here's my segue to our, our next bit. So uh, he's doing some streaming uh, in order to, to capture B-roll, but he's also doing some marking of footage so he knows what to go back for later when he wants to edit. He uses uh, everyone's favorite sound effect in order to mark it, which is the Doom shotgun sound. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Wonderful. I, I've Very been, fitting. I've been hearing a lot of the Doom shotgun sound <laughs> recently. And uh, I, I love the Doom series' um, embrace of, you know, the original Doom theme, the Doom shotgun sound. There are the certain things. It's like the Mario one up. I'm just happy that they stick with it. You mm-hmm. know? Yes, yes, it is. It is iconic. And yeah, with that segue, I've been playing a lot of Doom over the last two months, we'll say, even before Doom Eternal came out. But uh, it started, I got home, I was homesick for a little while. So I put in a bunch of time and replayed the uh, Doom 2016 again and loved it. Um, I don't know how much I've talked about this on past episodes. I don't think much, but um, this was all in service leading up to the release of Doom Eternal. Um, With that, I also spent a bunch of time playing the original Doom, some Doom 2, some most of Doom 3, and now that it came out remastered, Doom 64. So um, I, I have a particular love for every game that has 64 in the title that comes out for other systems. It just <laughs> it makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. I, I remember a couple years ago when uh, there's a Wii U launch game, Zombie U, and it just became zombie on other titles, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you're going to have something have a dumb part of the name please leave it there yeah my my hope is as you know time marches on and we're a hundred years from this or even later and people fail to really grasp the stretch of time that video games developed in and were creative that eventually there's just a group of people that think doom 64 came out in 1964 i i I think that's inevitable. And there's, I don't know, there's, it, it's one of a handful of those titles that it's like, uh, it came out for the 64, it's in the name, and uh, it matters. It's a good game, but man, is it, it had weirdness. Even there's something I've made you play some of, which is StarCraft. Uh, StarCraft 64 had exclusive levels. <laughs> and uh uh people have ported them uh since they've made mods to port them to the pc but it was a big deal for a long time and uh i almost got starcraft 64 uh what kept me from it is playing an rts using a nintendo 64 controller which was uh it, it was something but yeah uh, well, that, that's the funny thing, and that's kind of what leads me into part of this is, yeah, the controller matters. And that's the funny thing about Doom 64, and I'll even extend that to Doom 1 and 2, is that when those games came out, even original Doom 1 and 2, I played them and they didn't click with me. And I'm realizing now in 2020 that so much of that was the control scheme and that there actually is so much to enjoy in those games. And Doom 64 went from being kind of this weird and this is by hardly this is hardly a you know new opinion. People are discovering this game left and right now. But um, Doom 64 at the time just was kind of a joke. It wasn't made by id and people largely discounted it because it was on the Nintendo 64 and was kind of a nightmare to control. It wasn't, it wasn't made by id. Who made it? I, I'm, I'm simply curious because I know that a lot of the levels were made by, um, you know, the same people who were doing level design for Doom 1 and 2. Uh, it was a Midway game. Ah, okay. Yep. And yeah, I actually wasn't aware that a lot of the level design was uh, the same as Doom 1 and 2 people. Cause, but the funny thing is, like, Doom 64, in a way, is the real Doom 3 
or even doom two i would maybe even go mm-hmm. as far as to say as a person that doesn't like doom two very much it feels very much just like more of the same of doom one but with crappier levels um but doom 64 starts doing some new things doom 64 is the first time where you really not the first time but you start to get more of that kind of survival horror aspect of mm-hmm. the franchise they're doing more with lighting they're, they're doing some weird stuff with colored lighting they're doing some things with level manipulation that hadn't been seen before although they do one particular thing in like the second or third level that seems like wow this is gonna be a crazy doom game and then they never do again but um <laughs> well it's it's not totally flat right i mean that was one of the things about the original dooms is they're they're mazes but they're flat mazes they're not uh doom Doom one had elevation it did Um, did my memory of it i mean i was terrible at it my memory (laughs) of it is not that great but i i remember when i played dark forces Mm -hmm. like one of the things that really struck me about it was i wasn't used to elevation playing such a huge role like okay. every part of Dark Forces was you're going up and you're going down and you're shooting things around uh, down the hill. And my memory of Doom 1, 1 and 2 is like, there's like elevators, but I think that was, you know, <laughs> correct, correct me, because my memory yeah. is mostly just hallways. and. Corridors. I mean, there are elevators, there are stairs. The biggest thing about the Doom engine is it was incapable of stacking rooms on top of each other. So that might be the main thing you're thinking of. So it had elevation, but you couldn't have a room underneath another room. So the levels still were sprawling. Um, the other thing that made it different from Dark Forces, Dark Forces, you could actually aim up and down. <laughs> yes. With with like, I think it was the page up and page down buttons or something ridiculous. It like was that. it was awkward, but you got you got used to it. Mm-hmm. Like, like by modern standards, it. It feels very ridiculous, and I, I didn't play it until a little later. But the game was designed around that, so mm-hmm. it didn't feel it didn't feel terrible. Okay, yeah. The thing about Doom is there can be enemies on different elevations than you. You can't look up and down, but if you push shoot, <laughs> if you push shoot, your bullets will find them in the vertical. Uh, so, okay. So it's got an automatic, you know, aiming in that sense. So you just have to the learn. original auto aim. Yep, pretty much noob, noob work. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. I still, one of these days we need to do some co-op through Doom 1 or at least the shareware portion of it and just have some fun with that because there is a lot of fun to be had. And you talked about it, I think we were talking last week even, and you mentioned like your thought process of am I supposed to be dodging when you played Doom way back? And <laughs> Oh yeah, and it and- always felt like, I I felt like I was supposed to, but I couldn't. Yeah, and that that's the truth. That is the truth. You're supposed to dodge so many of those projectiles. I mean, you have your hit scan weapons where you have your chain gunner and your shotgun guy, and those will hit you immediately. There's no dodging. But then there's so many enemies that fire rockets or fireballs. Oh yeah, and well, what you're particularly so- the rockets. They mm-hmm. they take down so much health, and it's like I feel like I'm supposed to not be hit by four of these and die again and again and again. And strafing does wonders. And that's the thing about the original control scheme of that game is I'm trying to remember exactly because I don't have it directly in front of me, but it was a modifier. You had to hold down a button and then suddenly your turning buttons became your strafe buttons. It was it was a long time before that kind of strafe mapping got figured out in first person shooters and Doom was yeah no exception to that. 
And yeah, it, a modern control scheme really breathes new life into those games and really made me appreciate them when I started looking back at them. Um, which, yeah, then leads me, I, I guess the best time now is, yeah, to Doom Eternal. I won't dwell on it too much. I'm working on a review of it for the site. But Doom Eternal is the latest Doom shooter. Um, it is a sequel to what, at this point, I will say my favorite shooter of all time. Um doom 2016 so i had high expectations but also was trying to manage them and i think i did an okay job managing them i don't like doom eternal just straight off the bat i don't like doom eternal as much as i like doom 2016 um would you describe it as the dark souls 2 to doom doom's 2016's dark souls you know, I, th- I think that actually is a very good comparison. <laughs> um, Doom the Eternal- crazy thing is I haven't see- heard anyone say that. Well, and it- <laughs> <laughs> I might steal that. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, that is a great comparison because Dark Souls 2 is still a fantastic game, but it lives in the shadow of what Dark Souls 1 is. And yeah, Doom Eternal, they had a lot of new ideas. They, I, I think it would have been a huge mistake to just take doom 2016 and do that again so i fully respect the hell out of what they did with doom eternal um but i just don't think it quite works i think there's a few too many systems at work i think they sped things up in a way that just became just slightly unmanageable for them in the level design department like it's they sped things up in a way that the the track never changed i guess is kind of what i'm saying um they you know the turns just didn't account for the speed if i'm using that metaphor um it's a lot easier to get boxed in by enemies and it just doesn't flow the same way 2016 did for me now i imagine if i spend a bunch more time with it i'll find that rhythm with it and i will spend more time with it because again i really enjoyed it but i think it's a few too many systems on top of systems i think the the weak point stuff they added so they added a system where a lot of powerful enemies have weak points and what that was supposed to do was to get players to switch weapons more often and not play like the infamous uh polygon doom video that was circulating back in 2016 where the person was abysmal at the first few levels of doom i mean my my and i i sucked at 2016 but i i I beat it but my memory of that was that i really had to switch through weapons regardless mm-hmm. like the game super forces you and the part of my frustration with that i know that that's intentional but part of my frustration is the game tells you that there's one right way to play and that way is to vary and there's a you know in some ways it's kind of like a devil may cry sort of thing which i also never quite jived with where it's like you have to vary things up or your score will go down and devil may cry right Mm -hmm. that's like a really important thing for your style but um you will just die in in doom 2016 if you don't um constantly switch weapons while you're moving and uh i I when I hear that it tries to emphasize that even more I'm like why yeah no I mean it's it's that is the funny thing about it is I feel like they looked at there's a 
I mean, I, I saw interviews. I watched a lot of interviews before this game came out. I avoided game footage as much as I could, but I watched a lot of interviews. And one thing that they were talking about was trying to get players that didn't have fun with Doom 2016 to switch weapons more because there was video out there of players that were just kind of using the same weapon and kind of stumbling their way through the game and all that kind of stuff. And they were trying to force, for lack of a better word, people into what they called the fun zone. And I think that backfired because I think what happened here was is you had players like me that played a lot of Doom 2016 naturally fell into a um rhythm with switching weapons and finding different ways to deal with enemies and that kind of stuff and it was never in doom 2016 it it was important but never a necessity there were ways to brute force your way through things but it also Mm. gave you room to improvise with that weapon switching in a way that i don't think doom eternal understood um doom eternal has lots of just like weapon shaped keys for dealing with enemies <laughs> um i i find myself frustrated when it, i i totally understand what you're saying um when they're telling people you have to do it this way because this is fun and i you know it's cool when you build your systems around that but then when you say wait people are having fun in another way and that's you're just trying to lock that off that feel that seems like what they unintentionally were doing like Mm -hmm. i understand they're trying to corral people towards what they find is fun about it and obviously like the polygon video that's not a fun way of playing like yeah i think uh, i think what i'm you know the reason why i'm worried about like we talked about dark souls recently i think one of the reasons i'm worried about playing sekiro is i'm concerned that that's going to be a similar type of experience um mm. that it's going to force me into a specific play style whereas the souls games are a little more open allow me to find my own solutions this that may or may not pan out once i'm you know there playing it i got it recently as part of a sale so it's inevitable at this point <laughs> but yeah i i you know, not to dwell on Doom Eternal for too long, but yeah, it, it's a great game that I think made some miscalculations as far as what the hooks in Doom 2016 were. The last thing I'll say about it here is while I enjoy some of the story that they put into this thing, they're expanding on what Doom 2016 did. It brings Doom 64 further into the fold as far as storytelling, and I have a lot of fun with it. They, I think went too far in a few cases as far as being kind of self-knowing um they got a little too memey at times especially to the point and spoiler alert but when doom guy talks and the things he is saying are the things from the stupid comic book that from the 90s that i mean became a joke i remember you saying you're you're really hoping someone has a mod that just removes his voice yeah that's the one mod i want to install at this point is one that just silences him the cutscene can stay the cutscene would be perfectly fine without him talking that's the funny thing about it is you could remove his voice audio and it would ch- only change it for the better so <laughs> that's that's sad yeah but, you know one of the things with with a game like Dune eternal is there is 
tons of room to be a great game and still not be literally your favorite shooter of all time like exactly 2016 so um as much as uh, uh it might sound slightly negative it's it's still it seemed to me kind of and you know i just watched you play through uh a level and i i've seen some other stuff and read around the footage i doubt i'll play it because it's just not exactly my thing but it seems to me uh, like i don't know i'm happy for a messy ambitious um sequel I'm happy for taking a bunch of weird risks and trying for too much and failing yeah. more than I am on uh, game two as a map pack. Exactly. Know? And that that's, yeah, that's just it is. I really enjoyed it. It was great. Um, and when it's firing on all cylinders and everything is working as they intended, it is a better game than doom 2016. It's just the highs are higher and the lows are lower. And if they would have made a game, that was almost identical to doom 2016 but just new levels i would have been bored as hell so i i'm grateful they took the chances they did and i'm also extremely curious what they're going to do with uh they have two packs of story dlc coming out i'm curious if that is going to have a chance for them to look at feedback or how that's going to be different and change so yep that so is doom the other things that you've been playing are, you know, basically the same as Doom, like La Mulana, which yes. is... Yes. <laughs> uh, La Mulana, I've been streaming that a bit. Um, got an internet upgrade, which opened the door to me to do a little bit of Twitch streaming. So I've been playing some La Mulana on Twitch, and I restarted it after I had started it several years ago um, when I had some free evenings, and it just felt good to dive directly into something. And I got pretty far in it and then fell off and lost kind of the thread of what I was doing because it's a Metroidvania that is pretty demanding on the player, not only from a difficulty standpoint, but also just a memory standpoint of knowing what the heck is going on. There's a lot of lore to decipher. There's a lot of puzzles that are all just based on cryptic language scattered throughout the game. And if you lose the thread too much, it is almost impossible to get back to where you were. So I restarted that. I, I, I adore La Mulana a lot, even though I've never beat it. I will still place it up in some of my favorite metroidvanias of all time um and part of the catalyst of this too is i kickstarted la mulana 2 back when that got announced and that finally came out oh, about a year ago at this point maybe a little more but um that you know i want to play that so but i have to finish the first game first so yeah uh i mean i as much as I joke about um, how similar, I still felt like a lot of Doom Eternal felt uh, very Metroid Prime-like, and La mm -hmm. Mulana has the Metroidvania-ness. And there, I, there, there's a similar... You like exploring in games. I do. I do, <laughs> you, for you sure. Like, you like that sort of thing. Um, I am much more linear generally and so uh that being said i tend to go a lot more towards normally i tend to go a lot more towards the rpgs but i haven't played either of the divinity games mm. and you've been playing divinity original sin 2 and i think part of why those with the first one which honestly i, I heard a lot more about than original sin 2 mm. um I, it is probably because it was such a word of mouth surprise hit 
and Riddleson to people love it. I, it seems to be better than the first, but it wasn't a surprise. Um, everyone kind of thought it would be good, and then it has been. But both of the games, whenever people talked about them, it's always been, yeah, the story is there, but the systems are great, and the world you explore is really fun. So just ignore the story and go <laughs> out there and screw around with stuff, which is usually the biggest way to get me to an, uh, ignore a game. <laughs> I mean, uh, so yeah, to start back at the beginning, what you're saying there. So yeah, Divinity Original Sin 1 was a good game. I only played a little bit of it, but you know, you could see what they were going for and you could see what made it stand out from other uh western rpgs of you know similar things like pillars of eternity or um the latest pathfinder game or even going back to things like baldur's gate um it it was it's the openness of the systems that that game was going for but while when you play divinity original sin one you can tell that there were compromises you can tell that the budget wasn't there you can tell that it was a b game you can just see it you can hear it in the voice acting you can see it in the polygonal models you can see it in the ui there's just a lot of things that you can say they had to cut corners to get this made whereas divinity original sin 2 feels like a full realization of what they were going for i play that game and i don't look at it and go well that that's a little phone or you know that they mm -hmm. didn't have the budget to do that um I, I so far i don't have any issues with the story um i don't think it's a bad story by any means but also it's you know i'm still figuring out what the story even is um yeah, didn't you get lost be like not doing the story for like a couple hours going in some weird basement yeah i got off track a little bit <laughs> i was gathering my group in the starting area you start imprisoned um because you're you have some you're a magic user because it's of an rpg yeah you're a magic user of sorts um and people you know want to cure you of your ailment um so you start in basically an internment camp um for magic users with a collar around your neck very uh running man-esque that um restricts your power and you need to get that removed before you can escape and all that kind of stuff but in the process of that yeah i found myself deeper into the base than rather than escaping said base i mean eventually i found my way out but i was in the depths of the basement running into things that i don't think i was ever meant to run into but i mean i think that's the thing that people really enjoy about divinity original sin uh, I mean that that is cool, and mm -hmm. I it is very cool to be able to just, particularly in RPG, to go. You know, I want to explore the basement, and then to have it go. Well, okay, do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I, I think Bethesda style of that has burned me enough that I it doesn't sound intriguing. But your basement story sounded a lot more like. <laughs> At one point in Baldur's Gate 2, I like wandered off from the main story for like easily a dozen hours. <laughs> you know, like like not like for as long as other games last. I um wandered off and I kind of forgot what I was even going on in the story because I get involved with other things. And that was a lot of uh what i love so much about that you know like it's more fun to me in that game to um become the leader of a thieves guild despite not playing a thief 
<laughs> than it was to like than it was to go and and do the real parts of the game. So I can see the draw of that. I just um uh I don't I don't know if it's worth it quite to do the whole thing. Yeah, I mean I could see that. And I what you know, part of the reason I dove into this is because Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out from the same developer and i'm you know very curious about that um as someone that didn't play very much at all of those games but the thing with divinity i think is you know the things i stumbled into i think are probably late-ish game things i the game is willing to let me make mistakes and i appreciate that i mean that those mistakes are severely lessened in impact by having saving just a f5 key away and loading being mm, f8 key away yeah. is i can quickly go oops and reset <laughs> you know um yeah. that makes all the difference because i did play a bit of original sin 2 on console and i found the experience very different um i had a good point i mean not having a huge loading time for that um it is big <laughs> no it's huge it's huge because you can make those mistakes because yeah one thing i did was i wandered in on a ritual and I was like, oh, hey, what's up? And then the guy summoned a whole bunch of people that severely outleveled me. I'm like, oh, I really am not supposed to be here. <laughs> so I was, I got trounced and walked away. I did not feel like, oh, well, you know, but it was cool walking in on that. And I feel like now later on, I can re-barge mm. back in on that situation. But I, there were lots of neat things that they didn't seem to be, I mean, who knows? I'm not even sure at this point, but they might even be okay with me missing 100% at this point. Maybe that's a thing I'll never come across unless I go back there and visit. And that would mm. be pretty cool too. You know, it's, I, I think it, it, it seems to me um, in the, from what you say, it sounds like a good tradition of, uh the game will deliver what you're looking for so long as what you're looking for isn't that beeline mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and it's funny that you mentioned the you know becoming the leader of the thieves guild without being a thief i mean that is one of the things that draws me and other people to the bethesda model and that's the that's kind of funny thing is you know i and i remember in oblivion i played through a lot of that game with a friend and we became the heads of the mage guild without knowing a single spell um <laughs> i think that's much more impressive than my mage becoming a myth because mine you like you can cast you can cast spells to make yourself invisible mm -hmm. you can't be sneaky enough to cast a fireball we did a lot with scrolls um so, ah, gotcha, gotcha. you know um but no, I mean, like those games are fun, but I think the key difference here, at least as far as I am, is when Bethesda games seem to try and make it so that anything is accessible at any time with their adaptive difficulty and mm. et cetera. But also with that comes many weird difficulty spikes that feel unintentional. Um, you run into weird walls and get one-shotted without even knowing why. And I think largely Divinity Original Sin 2 when you do stumble into one of those things, it feels like, oh yeah, no, I'm just not ready for that yet. As opposed to the game just accidentally screwed me. Well, well, it'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it goes for you when you're further in. Cause yeah, still yeah. at the, still at the beginning there. Yeah. I'm still very largely at the beginning. The last thing I'll say about it is the teleport spell that seems to be pretty mainline for the game. Like not, it's it's funny to get something in a game 
that you're intended to get very early that feels very broken in a, <laughs> in, in a fun way like it, the things you do with that spell immediately feel pretty cool where early on you see a chest that's sitting on a ledge and without knowing that that's going to be an option you're sitting there looking for ways to get to it and then suddenly you get this ability to teleport something and oh i just go stand over there and i teleport that chest to me or mm -hmm. i i'm in a situation and i can't get up on that ledge but i'll just teleport one of my you know companions up there and they'll take care of it or during wait so you can teleport anything but yourself yes anything but yourself i love I, that's so backwards from like <laughs> when you tell me the teleport spell i assume the exact opposite that's oh. that's a lot of fun though no, it's a ton of fun. And yeah, you can use it to, you know, I'm going to send my companion up onto this cliff and then I take control of that companion and I go and do something. Or um, that's one of those spells where in D&D &D, um, it's quite high level and the DM really doesn't want you to get like <laughs> teleport and such because they just they're very it's hard for them not to be game breaking. Yeah. No, I'm sure. And that's just it. But it's fun to use in combat, too, where you can drop a fire enemy in a pool of water and you're like, OK, that was fun. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so far, I'm really enjoying it. I'm sure I'll have more updates on that one later. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see. So you let's let's get to some stuff you've been playing here. Um, I think most recently you've been telling me tales of the good Mario 3D Mario games that are so much better than Mario Odyssey. Um, well, yeah, I, I I was the weird person who I didn't think Mario Odyssey was bad, but everyone was ecstatic about it, and I beat it, and I went, okay, that was fine. So, um, I recently, since then, I went and beat 3D World, which is not as good as Odyssey, but is interesting in in contrast. Um, but then I was like, all right, I need to go back through and finally beat Galaxy. And are these as good as I remember they were? And they're so much better than Odyssey. <laughs> they're just... The... They, they remind me a lot more, especially as, it, as I'm now about halfway through Galaxy 2, but they remind me a lot more of uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 in that there's just a ton of a crazy amount of ideas and short levels where it's just like um, we just had this weird idea and we decided to develop an, an entire level about it. We're never going to revisit it again. Here you go. And I, I've really loved that. And it'll also take things that you see in other um, other 3D Marios and it, ta it takes them a lot further. Um, so for instance, like in Odyssey, I believe there were some of these, but they, they go all the way back to Mario 64. You have like the slide level to get a star. It's mm -hmm. one of the first secrets everyone I remember talked about way back uh, when you first get Mario 64, if you go in through that portrait, you go to the princess's secret slide. <laughs> um, so uh, think of that slide, Blake, but uh, think of it with Mario Galaxy 3D, three-dimensional geometry, where you're going upside down, you're going in uh, logical... Um, it's closer to a two, but parts are going in and out and you're upside down going through the slide at points. Hmm. And you're like, oh, that's just a random 
they can take something that feels like an ordinary 3D platformer and go, oh, we can do whatever we want with physics. It does not have to be realistic. We can do literally whatever we want. And uh, it's incredibly fun. I I play it for short bursts. Uh, my wife is always going like, really, you're done? It's like, eh, I just want to play like five stars. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, like go in and out and play for like half an hour and um, check out some weird things. And then I'm I'm good to go. But... I, I think knowing that there's, especially in Galaxy 2, there's no such thing as an ordinary level Okay, has, has been pretty exciting. There's no, um, like, there's no basic uh, 3D landscape. It's always weird. And the other thing is it does things with three dimensions. In the same way, I, I remember Portal and Portal 2 being so excited by a lot of the things. And then I know I haven't played it, but I I, I guess I played it very briefly with you once, but I've seen more from uh, Titanfall 2. Hmm. But they're those games where they do cool things with 3D physics. And then you go, why hasn't anyone copied that? And there's a ton of parts of Mario Galaxy and Galaxy 2 that screw around with the physics of what's possible in a game that even mario games just don't copy for some reason <laughs> i think uh oh i've got two well two things ish one your description of that slide makes me think of uh the uh, mario themed tempest game and i'd like to see that i think that'd be fun sounds uh, interesting After, when we're done i'm gonna i'll send you a video of the slide because it's hard to describe because you're like oh that's probably not a big deal I I was playing it with my wife also on the couch. I think she had to look away due to stress, and I think it'd be very <laughs> easy to get motion sickness because okay. kind of like with Portal Two, you're um, you're moving in ways that aren't necessarily intuitive to a human brain. Like mm. we live in three dimensions, but you're used to your feet being flat, okay. and throwing that sort of thing out the window um makes my brain happy and and i tend to be excited about any game that that does that which are pretty infrequent yeah no it's always cool when things like break that mold for sure and i do remember my little bit of the time i played with mario galaxy i did enjoy some of that i think just got eh, frustrated is not even the right word eh, frustrated is the right, <laughs> fr frustrated is the right word for the waggle aspect of it i hated that portion of it but but that's not that's not what i'm here to talk about um so i, th I think the comparison to uh, odyssey i think comes back also partially down to uh what you were describing earlier when i was talking about la mulana and doom and all that kind of stuff when you mentioned i like exploration and you like the more linear um odyssey i enjoyed for the sake of you know it kind of had that exploration aspect of it i didn't get pulled out of the level every time i found a star i got to keep you know kind of just digging around mm -hmm. and seeing what i find and all that kind of stuff but i think they're going through for they're going for very different things whereas i think yeah mario galaxy from what you're describing is it's it's the the craft is there the tight design is there which they definitely i, I will fully admit they full they sacrificed in odyssey to make something else yeah i i think it definitely depends on what you're looking for and honestly 
for probably most people that are looking for something closer to Odyssey, especially now, I feel like the, um, and especially from like a, a AAA game, there's a certain expectation of having that sprawl and being able to explore. And I am such a kind of goal oriented person when I play that um, the tight level design, again, I, I really felt like it's there, the, 3d air to um super mario brothers 3 and just kind of the um this level is going to take you um five minutes but that five minutes is going to be extremely well crafted and very cool and um when nintendo is crafting levels at the top of their game there's there's kind of nothing else like that so uh i'm i'm loving it i'm hopefully be done with two by the next time we talk but uh been doing that a lot and then i wrote something for the site about death stranding and covid19 that um i when people first started quarantining people were talking about that and one of the things that entertained me was uh how much people talked about death stranding and not um um that uh the division and the division two oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep which is um yeah i i don't know i i found dust training very very interesting i think that a as much as a i've said this before but as much as a triple a game could be i think it's going to be a cult classic mm-hmm. i think it's it's never going to be um it's too weird and the type of gameplay that it wants to make exciting is not the t- it's not a mainstream thing like there is shooting and there is that there are fights but they're not the best parts of the game mm-hmm. the best parts of the game are walking yeah and uh um you know highly highly polished version of walking is just never going to have that sort sort of mainstream appeal um when i was playing it in particularly like uh there are those missions you can choose to go on where it can be frustrated and it can be literally a meditative if you're stuck in the being quarantined right now uh you know, there's some parts that might be frustrating, but especially as you get going, you can go, ah, I'm just going to do this thing that where I'm just going to do a walk and mm-hmm. uh, feel good about it. It won't be that eventful. You can go and go, uh, uh, go out there and have, a, have yourself a little journey. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I haven't finished it. Um, I started it when it came out, but, uh, it, it's kind of the funny thing is yeah my most enjoyable moments with the game when i was playing it were when i was just kind of on those walks and mm-hmm. i just taking taking the game at my pace um where i ended up stopping was as as you know life started to take over as it does as i felt a greater pressure to mainline the game and with that mm-hmm. found myself enjoying it less and found like the mechanics to be more frustrating when i couldn't just enjoy them on their own terms um 
So I did set it down. At some point, I'll pick it back up again. I was going to um, before all this hit because I was going to get some time um, at home alone with my wife and son on a trip. It seemed like the perfect time to really immerse myself in it, but that uh, that got delayed. So <laughs> at some point, I will be diving back in, but I did decide that I need to do it on my own terms of it. Um, it just didn't yeah, fit my I, life. I don't think... And it, it it's an interesting thing for me in particular because I do mainline games and I do get bored. Like, I will do side quests, but most side quests are not as well crafted as main questling games. That's mm-hmm. just the fact of them. Um, but uh, I don't think that that's a very fun game to mainline and it's not a fun game when you feel... Um, a sort of timeliness of pressure. I think it's good for people right now who do have a lot of time. But if you are, say, very busy with a uh, young child at home and you're, it's it's not picking it up and playing it for fifteen minutes is a complete waste. You mm. know? Yeah. No, I want to play through it. I want to walk. I want the camera to pull out and then hear low roar start playing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to immerse in that situation as much as I possibly can and, you know, really kind of give in to the romanticism of it all and, yeah, just kind of enjoy those moments. Yeah, I mean, there are game, as they always say, is an experiential medium. It's about the experience of playing. And a, when you mention immerse yourself, sometimes the experience, like, one of the main things about AAA games, I feel that separates them from a lot of indie games, not La Mulana, but in many cases, they require that sort of immersion. And sometimes mm-hmm. it means, like with Doom Eternal, that level of immersion comes from, you, you know, people joke about just getting good, but the amount of concentration, you know, mm-hmm. to move at that speed and be balancing like 10 different abilities while juggling <laughs> weapons it, it just takes a lot of concentration mm-hmm. um i yeah, think that... death stranding you you would think to yourself it's a much slower game but it requires that same amount of concentration in order to enjoy it mm-hmm. and you could easily play it without doing that but you just get you'd get nothing out of it yeah and like that's kind of it is i'm sure when i was streaming some doom eternal for you you know i'm sure there were moments where i fell silent where i really had to just focus on what i was doing um (laughs) and like there's a reason i didn't stream doom eternal as i played through it was because i it was one of those games that i just needed to immerse in as much as i possibly could as opposed to you know yeah making it a shared experience and i feel like yeah death stranding i don't think benefits from being a shared experience in that way either and that's yeah i kind of want to experience yeah i agree in the same way most games i really like i wouldn't want to do that particularly with your first time through like Mm -hmm. with doom eternal there's a reason why when you're uh playing well uh and streaming over with me um you're doing something that you'd already gone through the level and yeah. it's a very different experience then in the same way i wouldn't i would never mind streaming and playing online uh like a dark souls thing going back mm-hmm. uh with stuff i've already done multiplayer but like the first time i'm experiencing some of that stuff i i just kind of want it to just 
I want to experience it. And uh, it, t- it takes something different. So mm-hmm. that, that would be my thing. Check out the game if you have that time right now. But if you are not, then, you know, be... also, if you're the type of person who likes um, playing something related to what's going on and you, it, you know, there are people who they've talked about how contagion has been the most rented movie. Mm-hmm. So there are certainly those people and there are p- people like my wife who want to go in the opposite direction. Yeah. The other thing I am, I want to finish writing. I, I started, but didn't get that far. And there's a thing about pandemic legacy would because that game felt stunningly close to a lot of, uh, <laughs> a mm-hmm. lot of Yes. <laughs> We were slated to start playing through it, my wife and I, and it got put back on the shelf. Which <laughs> is, I, I will in the future bug you about playing that again in the future, you know. But I, I understand why uh, the running joke one on the all the board game forums and Reddit has been. Uh, I really wish they hadn't made Pandemic Legacy Season Three a. Um, an augmented reality game (laughs) much nicer if uh let you just keep playing them in the box right but yeah there there's a lot going on there i it it is a game that's very easy to play just mechanically Mm -hmm. but if you are again immersing yourself and treating it in terms of seriously I think it'll be a very interesting game to play. And I think it'll honestly be a different experience for you playing that for the first time after COVID-19 versus me. Mm. Um, It's a tiny spoiler, but one of the uh, people who you will have on your team is literally a quarantine specialist. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so you have, you know, like the medic, the the basic people. We we once played normal pandemic, but the there's a bunch of other things that you unlock along the way. And uh when you're playing with things like the quarantine specialist and you're dealing with that and it's like, oh, yeah, that that's uh important job. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh I've played a little bit of the digital version of Pandemic. Um, I've got it on my Switch, so I'll occasionally mess with it there as a way of just kind of learning the rules until um, I start playing Pandemic Legacy for real. But maybe you'll appreciate this. So I was out on a hike yesterday, and um, just thinking to myself as we were hiking, and I started thinking about the virus and all that kind of stuff, and one thing that crossed my mind is just an awful thought, but I'm like, what if it mutates? <laughs> and then immediately in my brain, the image from both the board game and the digital version of the game is the panning around at different sections of the board and having the uh, virus <laughs> spread rapidly in little star patterns to all the neighboring spots and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, ah, <laughs> it was just, that was the visual. I, I, yeah, I think we will, we'll get to that. Uh, hopefully I'll be moving to Albuquerque, not super distant future (laughs) um god willing but um i i do think that that'll be a very different experience and um yeah i think that's all it's a difficult game to talk about without spoiling and then the other things i've been playing with my DD group but we moved to be on uh online so we're playing with roll 20 and discord 
and oh you did switch to roll 20 yeah um but we're using discord for the audio because the roll 20 was so janky okay oh the the most important thing of all blake is that last week a new expansion came out on hearthstone and uh oh and uh i'll i'll leave it there no 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 tell me about it it's a uh so it's exciting they for the first time ever they put in a new class so they're the original nine and then they added a tenth one and two days later they had to nerf that class to the ground because it was way too good oh okay so it was pretty entertaining and uh i don't know um Whenever they release the first expansion of the year, they rotate out the stuff from two years ago if you play uh, standard. So kind of like with Magic, there's a standard format and then other formats. But I mostly play standard, and that's kind of the most exciting time because there's the most changes to the game. So I've been playing a fair amount and just um, seeing what works and uh, making some weird decks that... uh, I don't know, uh, I've been playing a deck with no minions, all spells a lot lately, and being able to do that and be competitive is just fun. That's and cool. I, I played against another person uh, who was playing a similar all spell deck. We both kept on casting spells that chain 10 other random spells. So I it was literally like we just had turn after turn of rolling dice at each other. It was awesome. <laughs> just seeing what weird things. And those are the things where I talk to my friends who play Magic. There are certain things that can be done in a digital game. I love being able to have the... Uh, normally it's a panic button, but it's literally, I'm going to cast this thing that has a ton of crazy random effects it might be good for me. It might be good for you. Let's just roll the dice. And then on their turn, they respond by doing the same thing. It's, it's, it's kind of awesome. People call it a crazy clown fiesta, but I love it. <laughs> crazy, right? For some reason in my brain right now, I'm picturing playing war when you match cards and you're laying out everything and it just keeps stacking with multiple. You're like, you're before you know it, your entire deck's laying on the table. Oh, it, oh, oh, it does. Um, one <laughs> Like one of the things that it, it you it'll automatically happen to cast a spell that draws your entire deck. Then you destroy all minions, create ten new minions. <laughs> it's just like what what's even going on here? I don't know what's I don't it replaced my deck with my opponent's deck. <laughs> oh God, what's that? It, it's that sort of sort of I don't actually know what's happening anymore moment that that is uh difficult to achieve in magic or anything that it would be besides digital so it's been a lot of fun that's and, cool uh, are people then, generally happy with it these days i know it had some dark times there when it seemed like blizzard was having a lot of dark times in general but... yeah it's it's gotten a lot better i okay. mean november was a bad point for blizzard period they've i think they had to bring out something big, which was partially the new class. They put out a new mode that is, um, uh, I think we talked in the in the past. Maybe it was on one of the episodes. We didn't it didn't end up in the getting out to the wild, but um, <laughs> uh, 
they put in a an auto battler like auto chess mode oh okay that's right so they added auto chess mode which is um good i can see it becoming samey but that's true of auto chess also Mm -hmm. um and i feel like auto chess fell off the face of the earth like there just came a point where no one was talking about it anymore it did because it gets samey um for people who don't know what it is it's kind of like dominion it's it's a deck builder but the things that you make automatically battle each other so it's like building a deck of um uh dota heroes basically and you're getting better ones and doing everything but the problem is even if they change content and they add new cards and whatever, it doesn't change as much as something like Magic or Hearthstone does because the format is still an auto battle or deck builder. Okay. And so it's kind of like, um, I think of Dominion as a fantastic game mm-hmm. and there's, you know, 20 expansions for Dominion. There's a lot. But... Uh, you know, you know, I assume that the 20th expansion for Dominion didn't sell as much as the second expansion. And you, you just don't need... It's more exciting to play something that isn't a deck builder again. So mm-hmm. um, all of those games are good. I think Auto Chess is good. I think the Hearthstone Battlegrounds, which is the name they have for that mode, is good. But it's not... I wouldn't be playing it a year down the road. And I think that that's the issue auto chess had is that uh, even if they change every, all the heroes and everything every month, it's still too similar versus something like magic. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, 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 maybe I told you this, I booted up hearthstone briefly a couple months ago and no actually didn't (laughs) i did and i quickly got frustrated with the ui and uninstalled it but um... (laughs) i i want to stream for you we can switch it on on discord uh we can share my screen uh i should show you the uh auto battler okay yeah that'd be cool very 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 it's free to play Okay. So I think you that's don't have to when I buy any cards or anything. Okay. That's when I actually downloaded it was in the midst of all that, I think. And cause I was like, I want to check this out. And I, I hate all the animated shit <laughs> in the <laughs> games menus. It, it... One of the things is like, you see that, but then when you look at something like Gwent and you see the game that doesn't have everything animated and such and how dull it is, I don't know. I, 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 it's kind of like you, you want to be the person who goes, well, it's just the mechanics that matter, but the Mm -hmm. presentation does matter. And conversely, I understand how, if, because the presentation does matter, if you don't like that blizzard house style, Mm -hmm. um, you're just not going to click with the game. Like you can't get around it. It's, it's too, it's too much a part of the experience. Yeah, I mean, presentation in the end really does matter because otherwise we'd be playing first-person shooters where everything is a just cube or diamond, <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean, we do when we play Counter-Strike all True. the time. True, turn all the settings down. Gives you the best frame rate. Yep, it's all about the frames. It's all about, all the, about frame. the frame. Speaking of frames, got this nice new monitor and I'm so happy with it. So that, that's 
just other news i'm playing at 144 hertz and it's glorious <laughs> <laughs> so it's and uh but final fantasy 7 remake and animal crossing the other two new things that you're playing very briefly neither of those are for pc no um so i've been playing animal crossing on switch just uh picked it up again uh that was one of those tim rogers things tim rogers made me want to get it so i got it and i've been enjoying it quite a bit it's it's i mean it i think it's safe to call it my first animal crossing i've been Mm. around animal crossing for years but never really paid a whole lot of attention or really played much of it at all i mean i know i knew who tom nook was i you know knew (laughs) one of my questions i was going to ask you and that you've since invalidated is how different is it (laughs) and and, and it's it's, clearly you don't know (laughs) i mean i do though i it's I've, i've listened to enough about animal crossing over the years to know that it's it's different in a way that longtime fans are finding frustrating and in a way that I don't even notice, I guess is kind <laughs> of the thing. Um, one of the biggest changes they made to this um, was they added crafting, which I didn't actually realize until I'd played it for a little bit that there was previously no crafting in Animal Crossing games. Um, and a lot of longtime fans are finding that very frustrating. Which... Whereas like a lot of the people who i follow have liked the crafting because i I, but they they're not like purists who just play like animal crossing you know they're Mm -hmm. people who just like games you know and people people who are just just like games and don't have preconceptions about what an animal crossing has to be seem very happy about it I, i my big thing now is my wife is interested in it, but we don't know if she'd like it or not. And six, <laughs> $60 is like an annoying amount for like, maybe you'll enjoy it, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy it. I, I find it funny with this whole crafting thing being controversial. Cause I look at this and go, but without it, what is animal crossing? I, <laughs> I thought I understood, but now I it's don't. Turnips, Blake. It's <laughs> it is. It's, it is. It's turnips. It's watching turnip prices and selling them when they're hot. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the biggest change is the ramp is slower from what I understand. You know, Mm. I think, I think the, from what I've heard, the previous games kind of drop you into your town a little bit faster and you start interacting with townspeople faster and all that kind of stuff. Whereas this Mm. game gives you more goals. At least I think there's more actually like missions you have to do that previous games didn't necessarily have whereas you know it's hey we want to build a shop go get all the materials to build this shop so you go out and get all the materials to build the shop and then the shop opens and it goes okay we need to build more housing for this uh for the people to move into can you can you help with that and tom nook takes big advantage of your character at, at every turn but uh <laughs> then I, tom yells at you and it's like you built housing but you didn't build plumbing what were you thinking <laughs> yes no um i built a bunch of housing for him and he rewarded me with fence and i thought that was kind of shitty but um, <laughs> but no i mean it seems to be like it, there's a lot more just kind of hey go out if you want these things you have to fulfill requirements to get them and i don't think that was necessarily as prominent in previous games so that is either better or worse depending on what you're hoping for 
the other the other thing I've seen from all the, all the socialist writers I follow is that Animal Crossing is there to there to very slowly explain to people the issues with capitalism to kids. Yes, no, definitely is. <laughs> like that is the funny thing about the humor of it is like you are so heavily engaging in capitalism, and it's it's both a condemnation and a celebration of capitalism at the same time. It's just like at every turn, like Tom Nook is just, he knows exactly what he's doing and he'll say some awful things about debt and stuff like that. But then it's just like, but you're going to take out a loan, right? I'm like, well, yeah, of course I am. Cause I need to advance this damn game. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm 80,000 bells in debt to Tom Nook. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, I've been enjoying it. It's fun. Um, I found out there's a ghost on my island and that's terrifying. There's a tarantula island and that's also terrifying. Um, but yeah, I, I, do you have to interact with tarantula island? Can you choose to not? Um, you may, I think there's conditions that make it so you can fly to other islands. Um, it's kind of one of their ways of dealing with the fact that if you don't want to play with other players, you can kind of fly to these pre-built islands and to my knowledge, you need to fly to an island at night among maybe some other stipulations to get to the Tarantula Island, but I'm not sure. Okay. But all the tarantulas, although, you know, I've caught a couple tarantulas. I've also been bit by a tarantula, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing. I mean, tarantulas aren't as scary as the bees, so... Yeah. Um, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing. So I don't know. I mean, I, I could see, I could see you guys getting some enjoyment out of it. Um, the if you're looking to share it and like play two different characters, I've heard nothing but bad things about that experience. No, I, it would definitely be, and I I can see. A, both a, both because the switch you know it's portable so it's easy for it it's i can see her using it more that way than i do mm -hmm. and b i do know what those games are and i know that they're not super for me so that's one of the things about buying it is that a lot of games and we've done this with board games or with um or with other things where i'm like heather you should check this out and it's not a bad purchase because if you don't like it i will mm -hmm. and animal crossing is one of those things where it's like if you don't like this then we're screwed uh, it's yeah. just it's, it's just not my um um i think they you'd think i would enjoy it for my ocd but I feel like they just ratchet my OCD up. Oh, okay. Like they give can... me another thing I feel guilty about not doing. Okay. I yeah, I can that see in that. My life already. I can see that. You know, the. I mean, if it if it just came down to recommendations altogether, I'd say get Stardew Valley. Mm, yeah, that seems more like something I would be interested in. And in conversely, I wonder if she would simply because it seems um it's weird to talk about difficulty for that type of game but more difficult like uh, less 
less everything you do is good like stardew has you know things to manage that you need to be aware of it's not there's you have a stamina meter and you get tired throughout the day and you have a clock that is you know when the day's up the day's up and those are kind of those are your biggest restrictions that you need to deal with on a regular basis but it's also once you get past the idea of those it's a fairly low stress game so but it has more to do um i managed to feel stressed out about harvest moon so like <laughs> yeah. i don't know I don't know how it is on that scale because Harvest Moon, it's like they because they're kind of like with the Persona games, like the calendar is moving forward. Mm -hmm. I got to do all these things, but I don't have enough time to. Do them. Ah. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely that you want to wake up with a plan. You don't want to yeah, meander, yeah. <laughs> and I find that stressful because that is like my actual life. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm stressing about my virtual life and my actual life in that sort of way, then I sure I I don't necessarily like I I can appreciate it, but I don't know that they're good for me to play or that I I enjoy them in the traditional way. Mm -hmm. Whereas Animal Crossing is very low stakes at all times. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't want to pay your loan? That's fine. We just won't give you a bigger house until you're ready to. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> there's, yeah. yeah. And whatever time it is, is whatever time it is. Who cares? The store might be closed, but oh well. You know. Yeah. So um, the other thing that um, I haven't been messing with personally, but my wife um, has been playing or just started Final Fantasy VII Remake um, as someone that never played the original but has been playing uh since 13 she well i mean she played 13 13 sequels and 15 and loves those games quite a bit so um jumping into seven remake has been interesting um i've never beaten the original but i've played a bit of it and it's been weird watching and she's never played uh, kingdom hearts either right no she has not because i i feel like the battle system seems very like a better kingdom hearts. Yeah. I was going to say as someone that's played the original kingdom hearts and actually just redownloaded it, um, because I'm a glutton for weird punishment. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it's the con combat system is similar, but much, much better. Like, yeah. Like what I want kingdom hearts combat to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yeah, I mean, it's, the remake seems really good and what it's doing with the story seems wild to say the least. Um, I, I won't go too deep into it. There's enough on the internet out there to read about it. If you really want to spoil it, uh, Jason Schreier wrote a thing on Kotaku talking about exactly what happens at the end of the remake. But um, considering what i know about the original like it makes me even more excited about the idea of this game and its eventual sequels when do you think the first sequel will oh. exist um i think with the way they've structured this and the choices they made i don't think we'll see it for two or three years that's right you heard it here first half-life <laughs> confirmed uh -huh. 27 <laughs> but yeah this it will not be a quick dlc follow-up or anything along those lines as far as i can tell so but it 
it seems super cool and regardless of opinions of final fantasy 7 i i mean this game this is one of those weird rare games where it has made me retroactively appreciate the old game more in a weird way mm. um those come around very rarely but like my interest in the original has heightened since and to the point where i've been very very minorly but you know just toying with it on my switch occasionally as i have a few minutes here mm. and there i'm not far at all in it but i'm a i'm a few steps ahead of where nicole is in the remake so it's 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 fun it's cool sounds good i i feel like that pretty much wraps it up yeah i think that does and i think this is i think this format's working out we'll see once i export the final file and make sure that everything actually worked but it still says it's recording so i think we're good well only time will tell will (laughs) this be the beginning of our new recording procedure or will this go with the other ones in the oh i guess uh, that's not gonna happen for a while <laughs> i think it'll i think it'll work out all right and then like future plans i've i kind of hinted at it but to give you full context um you know i'm recording this through obs with the hopes that someday we can maybe stream this live or add a video component i've got a switchboard here where i can add throw up video as we're talking about things if we have the video available like i think we could have some fun with it and maybe it should be good um i mean i'm not doing anything exciting i'm watching out the window as my neighbor pulls his pants up and then his dog ran out and then his baby ran out and now he's getting his dog <laughs> and now his pants are down again anyhow it's, it's, it's it, i'm having a florida afternoon that's awesome. I'm, that is one thing, you know, I'm so glad you're getting out of there, but I, I will, I will miss the stories of your neighbors. Uh, it never ends. It, it never ends. And hopefully, hopefully it continues on after you've come back to Albuquerque. But anyway, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank you for your time. Um, everyone can visit expositionbreak.com for our written content. There's been a little bit more of that recently um, since Ooh. our last recording. Uh, a few things. Sean's written about Death Stranding. I wrote about um, Jedi Fallen Order, a mm-hmm. small review of that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Exposition Break. Um, you can follow me as Echo Otter on Twitter. Uh, Sean, you are what? What are you're just? What are you? <laughs> I'm just Sean Gander. You're just Sean Gander. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. I started double. Ch- I almost said, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, I just type in your name and you show up. So it's just like phone numbers. I mean, I don't know phone numbers anymore either. Um, <laughs> And you can send any questions or comments to us on Twitter or podcast at expositionbreak.com. Um, I want to thank Icefields for the use of our theme music, Scenic Route. You can find his music on SoundCloud, SoundCloud and icefieldsmusic.com. And the Exposition Break podcast can be found on Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, and iTunes. I have not updated the <laughs> script since we got added to iTunes. <laughs> so anyway, thanks, everybody. Hope you're all safe and doing well. And hopefully it won't be too long before we record another one of these. 